This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thanks for coming out tonight. Um, in every metric, loss of life, acres burnt, infrastructure destroyed, 2018 was the worst year in wildfire disasters in the great state of California. We cannot let this happen again. So our team, and I'd like to call special attention to the University of Nevada, Reno, Graham Kent, who started us off in the second phase of this project. The first phase was started here by Frank Vernon, part of the HP Wren system. And Frank, wherever you are, good start. Graham, I know where you are, you're at UNR. Thanks for continuing carrying the torch. So here, what, what can we do to get fires out earlier? My whole talk, my whole passion, how do we detect fires early? Fires start small. It's called this incipient phase. If we can attack them at that point, we have a chance to suppress them and stay on the attack. Okay, we want to be on offense. 20, 30 minutes, we go to defense and we start planning evacuations. So time is everything in suppressing fires. So why is it getting worse? If you look at this map here, what you'll notice is there's these hot spots, Los Angeles, Ventura, Utah and Colorado. It's a good thing NOAA doesn't provide data for Alaska because Alaska is bright red. These are temperature increases that date back to 1895. So bright red is two degrees. And Governor Brown said that we're living in the new normal. There's no normal. This is the new extreme. We're heating up the atmosphere so fuels combust readily, ignite huge tens of thousands of acres, just ignite like an atom bomb, as I'm going to show you. Okay? What we're all about is suppressing fires before they get to the stage that we're on defense. The atmosphere is supercharged. There's many days now with single-digit humidity high winds, bone dry, kindling as fuels. So in the 11 western states, the fire danger that was realized at Paradise is exceeded by numerous communities. These fire dangers are rated in evacuation routes, fuels to be burnt, okay, things like this. So they've rated these areas and as you can see here, there's over 500 of these small communities throughout the West that are at peril. We can't let what happened in paradise ever happen again. We need better technology. We need advanced warning. We need early detection. So here's the forecast. Doesn't look good. Don't think that the rainy winter is going to protect us from fires. These fuels are drying out. You watch the hillsides go from being in Hawaii to being California gold. 
Okay. There's a fire, Walker fire up north that's already 50,000 acres. We're here in the prime of fire season, and what's going to happen in the next few months is we're going to turn on the wind. Okay? When the wind blows, it, it's not good for California. So what is Alert Wildfire? It's this network of pan-tilt-zoom cameras that are high-definition, near-infrared, that first responders can remotely control and track fire. We work with CAL FIRE, CAL OES, counties. We even work with water companies, Sonoma Water, because this black carbon that goes into the reservoirs contaminates the water. Also, the erosion that's accelerated because of lack of root structure puts in pollutants into our reservoirs. So it's a microwave communication network that's resilient. We've been bringing back data since 2013. It doesn't go down like cell phones in an emergency. Okay? Right now, the system is a confirmation system of 911. So your calls to 911 still beat any artificial intelligence for detecting fire. Okay? Stay, stay on that 911. If you think you see smoke, call 911 because that gets transported out to the emergency centers, command centers, and we can verify it very quickly with these cameras. So they provide confirmation of 911 calls. They provide first responders with situational awareness so they can see how the fire's changing while they're driving in their engines or in fixed wing or helicopter crafts. Okay, so here we give them insight into the dynamics of how the fire's changing. In the worst scenarios, we can help assist and sequence evacuations because we know where the fire is with respect to streets and routes of egress. So the utilities. The utilities have funded this in large part. So I work closely with them. We have 250 plus cameras up today that we didn't have up last year, keeping all of us safe, giving first responders the information real time of how to scale their response. So here in the north, looking over San Francisco from Mount Tamapias, PG&E. So if you go on the website, the funders for these cameras are labeled in the upper right corner. Here, this is one of my favorite places, Avalon. Edison, okay, all right, and here this is Vulcan Mo uh, Mountain, and this is SDG&E. SDG&E took the first risk. Carolyn Wynn, the COO of SDG&E, deserves a call out for her vision and insight, and that that utility is leading the way with weather stations and providing safe power to to the community of San Diego. So I'd like to thank Carolyn Wynn. So here's the cameras. Okay. It's a consortium. This is a research consortium out of universities. The University of Reno, University of Oregon, and the University of California. I don't have to say anymore. You know which one it is. <laughs> so 
this was established in 2013, the new alert system. Um, Winter, up at Sacramento, testifying in front of the Assembly and Senate, we predicted would have 200 to 300 cameras out by the end of October. This was back on March 6th. We have 250 plus cameras deployed as of today. Okay, so great call out to my colleagues, Bo DeRozier, Colby Nicholson, and Ernie Aaron. They've been deploying cameras week in and week out. So round of applause for them. In addition to the California utilities, we work with most of the counties, LA, Ventura, Santa Barbara, Kern, Sonoma, Marin, so here, Marin, so here, they play a huge part in providing us infrastructure. We also work with wireless internet service providers like Geolinks, Digipath, Unwired, so there's thousands of people that are involved in this effort pulling us forward. And we couldn't do it without them. It's not just one person that makes these things happen. It's the commitment of many, the power of California. So we also work with CAL FIRE, BLM, Sonoma Water, and the United States Forest Service. So this is a big group. And we're on target to have 300 cameras up by the middle of October, okay? So here, if you go on our website, alertwildfire.org, you'll see these panels. We've divided the state into 10 panels that are consistent with CAL FIRE delineation of the state so that up at St. Helena or Monta Vista here, out at Santa Barbara, Red Dog and Simona, all of these firefighters know these areas and they know where the cameras are with respect to their area they're protecting. This here is two harbors. You can tell uh, I have an affinity for the ocean. Um, I grew up a sailor and uh, it, proud to be a Californian because we respect the environment and diversity. So here's to California. Here's to the ocean. Let, let's keep it blue. So these are the students and workers in my group that are installing these cameras. I just wish they knew how to take a picture better. <laughs> Learning takes time. So anyhow, we build our own systems where there's not existing infrastructure. They're solar powered. They have three to five days backup power. And the reason we do this is the public safety power shutdowns that are being implemented by all the utilities. So they use weather forecasts and they make hard decisions of where to shut off power to keep us safe. And those decisions are hard. And they're, they're working in their command centers to make these decisions so that we don't inconvenience people if we don't have to but we also don't put them in peril. So here, we build our boxes. This is what one of the boxes looks like here. My, my favorite instrument in here is this is the lightning suppressor. Kind of looks pretty cool. Um, back to the future. So here's me up on Buckhorn. Everybody knows me because they say he always wears shorts. Okay, So I can't wear shorts here. 
because I'm known as Cheryl's husband. <laughs> so this is me fixing a modem up on Buckhorn Mountain that's about 9,000 feet, and it was a cold day, and I was very eager to get back in the car. So these cameras, these show here, the cameras, these arrows, and what we're looking at is we can see the view shed in light blue of the camera. So here we're looking out to the northeast, and you can see a lake in the distance. And we can zoom in on that lake, and the clarity of these cameras is incredible. Okay, so we can confirm ignition right away. And then we can marshal our resources up or down, depending on the real-time information. You can go on these websites, and you can time-lapse you can look at how the fire is progressing. You can look at where the fire is to you. We have maps here that you can see. We can triangulate. We can determine where the fire is. And then you can locate your street. You can know the wind direction. Look at the smoke. Make informed decisions. Be empowered. Okay? We're all in this together. It's bigger than any of us. We're heating the atmosphere and ocean at an alarming rate, okay? Roger Revelle said, we are conducting the world's largest geophysical experiment. And I add to that, but we're in it, okay? No one knows how this is going to accelerate. These are nonlinear processes, okay? Fire is the first one that's really showed us things have changed since 20 years ago. So here we can triangulate, determine where the fire is. We can click there and get a lat long. So the cameras on a clear day like today can see about 60 to 70 miles during the daytime. At night they can see about 120 miles. So these are fires down in Mexico that we're looking at them from the United States here. And they look really close, but we can triangulate and figure where they are. So the near infrared would not allow what happened in North Bay 2017 to happen again because we'd know where the fires are. We wouldn't have to send a truck to the top of a mountain or launch an aircraft to determine there was multiple ignitions. Chief Ben Nichols from CAL FIRE up at St. Helena, testified in front of the Senate and Assembly that he would have given his right arm for these cameras before the 2017 North Bay fires. We also have a banner that goes across the camera. So here, this is CAL FIRE, CF. So right here, I want you to look on this part of the banner. Okay. So right in here, CAL FIRE, Monta Vista Unit, Corey Costa. Corey's on the cameras night and day. Okay. And we put this name on the camera banner so that people don't move it when CAL FIRE has control of the camera. We have developed camera etiquette of don't move the camera if CAL FIRE or local county fires have moved the camera last. And you can see the time that he moved it. Okay. All right. So here we log every camera user. Okay. So here on this picture, let's say we get a lat long, I can type that in and it'll direct me exactly where the fire is and what cameras to look at. 
helps speed up the process. If you're a PCer, a right click, or if you're a Mac user, control click will give you a lat long so you can see where the fire is with respect to you. This is very helpful for uh, firefighters. Pole Mountain, we observed a fire 50 miles away. We were about two to 300 feet off when the first responders got to the location we told them to go to. We didn't live that down for weeks. <laughs> we're also doing something for AI. So here, you'll notice the top. So here's the view screen of this camera. And then it's rotated. So we rotate it. We call this on patrol. We rotate the camera through 12 stations, taking a frame every station. And then we can see how things change. So our colleagues at Berkeley okay, and Mayday are using our camera data and satellite data to machine learn and improve AI. So you can see in this picture here that this feature right here is this feature right here. So we click through the 360 degrees, taking 12 pictures per rotation. And this is all to increase machine learning, artificial intelligence, because that's how we're going to beat this, is detecting it before 911 calls. So this is my story. Campfire, devastating. If you notice here, 702, there's faint whiffs of smoke right there. Everybody see, this is a DMV driving test, okay? <laughs> How many people see the smoke at 702? Come on, you guys in the front row, you gotta help me out here. All right. So here, 35 minutes later, 737, we're in a towering inferno, just ignition of the fuels. There's no more offense. We look like the Pittsburgh Steelers last night. Okay? So this is the time. Every fire starts small. So if we can get it when it starts small, we have a chance. So here, this is the wall fire. Look at the tornadic activity. Okay? So the car fire generated its own weather. EF3. Okay? On a tornadic scale, that's 145 miles an hour. It was throwing trucks and cars around, knocking down power lines. Okay, car fire was started by uh, chains on the side of the road, and um, quickly just blew up. It crossed the Sacramento River because the tornadic activity could get the embers so high into the atmosphere. So this is the lilac fire. I showed you this lilac fire. I, I was here back on April 11th, 2018, talking to you about our success with SDG&E. And now I'm telling you that I have hope that we can suppress these fires even in red flag conditions. And I'm going to show you data. Okay, let's, let's look at the data and let it tell us the story. So this is the Lilac Fire, okay, December 7th, 2017. So our fire seasons are getting longer. They're pushing more into December. When I first came here, um, the 03 and 07 fire were both extinguished or under control by Halloween. Halloween was my favorite holiday. Okay, now it's like New Year's. All right, so the season is getting pushed back. 
Okay, and um, this is December 7th. So what I'm going to want you to watch is right in here, you're going to first see dust clouds, and then you're going to see the fire ignite right here, and you'll be able to assess yourself how strong the winds are. So here we go. Okay, so you see the antenna, it's moving pretty good. We're going to see some dust right in here. See the dust devils? Okay, that's not smoke. There it is. Bam. Look at the color of the smoke. Look at how it's bent over. First responders can look at this immediately and make decisions. Chief Meacham from Cal Fire was able to divert most of his uh, trucks and planes and equipment to this fire because he could see with the other cameras there was no other ignition points in the county. So we went at this hard. The fire was held at under 5,000 acres with no loss of life on a red flag day single-digit humidity, sustained winds 50 miles an hour, and days of baking before this so the fuels were kindled dry. Okay, so now let's look at another data point. So we have to look at data, okay? All right, so here we are. We're looking out towards Ramona. Paul, this is the view. I'm looking at you. Paul's on the other side to the east looking back at me and we don't tell anything about what we see so this is the Ramona fire that was day after Veterans Day last year so let's take a look okay so here's it's a house fire you can tell house fires because of the color of the smoke they're darker don't burn the white smoke like vegetation so here minutes after being called on 911, we could confirm the severity of this fire and we could launch air attack. So let's look at this again. Okay, so you should be able to see the plane, the helicopter coming in, see it dumping the water. Okay, so the fire was suppressed in under an hour. There was no spotting. This was red flag conditions. This is in the same corridor as the Cedar and Witch fire. This is a deadly corridor for San Diego. So in case you didn't see the helicopter, I, I did a freeze frame so you could see it. All right, this is the uh, sky crane of SDG&E, and it was parked in Ramona, and they were able to get to this fire right away. But here in 03, a hunter was lost in the cedar in the Cleveland National Forest. So what did he do? It was blowing like crazy. It was single-digit humidity, okay? Lots of fuel. So what do you do? Let's light a flare. I'll be found. Many fires are started by us very smart people. Like the largest fire, the Mendocino Complex fire, was started by a guy that was allergic to hornets. And he took a piece of rebar and drove it into the hornet's nest on the ground, and the spark caused a fire that consumed 460,000 acres. Carry a, a stick pin. Okay. So here, I want to kind of quantify the negative. What would it have cost if we hadn't put this fire out? So here, just to orient yourself, this pin 
is where the house fire is. It's Poway, Julian. You can see that we're right in the same quarter. This fire burnt across the 15, and I'm going to just highlight that part right here. Okay? So the Cedar Fire jumped 10 lanes of highway. Okay? So during these wind events, spotting goes kilometers in front of the main fire, and I'll show you that with some satellite data later on. So the Cedar Fire, 15 fatalities, okay? Over 2,000 homes, 22 commercial properties, about 275,000 acres. Largest fire to date back in 2003. And in 2003 dollars cost us $1.3 billion in just recovery from insurance, okay? A meeting with the insurance aid uh, commissioner, Commissioner um, Lara, later this week to try to work with the insurance companies to show them these cameras offer us some protection and maybe have them stay in the state. Because Santa Monica, places up in paradise, you, you can't get homeowner's insurance anymore. So here, just to put this in perspective, from 1980 to 2014, we went up almost $100 billion fighting fires in the United States. Okay? All right? This is huge investment, okay, year after year. So I only put the fires on here that were billion-dollar fires. The Ferguson fire that was only like $750 million didn't make the cut. Car fire, $1 to $1.5 billion dollars. Camp, eight and a half to ten and a half. Hill and Woolsey, three to five billion dollars. So in 2017, we spent over 12 billion dollars to recover. That's more than we spend on the whole UC system here in our state, to give you some kind of reference frame. We're looking at about 20 billion dollars for 2018. If you just, it's 18 if you start adding these up, but these are only reported claims as of April. So this is, and here, another thing to just notice is that these fires, we have multiple ignitions, okay? Because the conditions are just bone dry and the atmosphere is supercharged. We call these other disasters cascading disasters because they're the result of these fires. So the air quality after the campfire was worse than Beijing, okay? Lung-related visits to the emergency room peaked three months after the campfire, okay? This is my own picture. I was up there repairing Buckhorn Mountain, and I walked out of the airport there in Sacramento, and I saw the, the sun, and I couldn't help myself. I took a picture, and the air quality is such, and the filtering that you can actually see the corona of the sun, okay? So these are disasters that are cascading after these fires. This is our, one of our great wonders here in California, Yosemite. But after the Ferguson fire, it was shut down for weeks because of air quality. So it impacts tourism in dollars. The Thomas fire, largest fire to date, 2017. Okay. It eclipsed the cedar and witch fire. Two firefighters lost their lives. This atmospheric river 
January 8th pointed right at the fire and where the fire, the vegetation had been destroyed and the root structures weren't holding back the soils, 23 people died overnight in Montecito. They're putting up chains now and devices to try to hold back these boulders that are the size of fiats. You can't say AMC Pacers anymore. Kids just don't know what they are. <laughs> so these debris flows move really rapidly. Anybody have an idea of how fast these move? Anybody want to take a guess? 20 to 30 miles an hour. Yeah. I can't use that language up here. <laughs> but you're right. So this is, this is things that we have to think about. There's not just the fire. There's events that cascade off of that. Here's another cascading event. So here, what I'm showing you is emission decline over previous year from cap and trade in millions of metric tons of CO2 equivalent. And then I'm showing you here, this includes wildfires on federal lands only, that these fires released many more metric tons than saved by cap and trade. Let's just use for an example the Rim Fire in 2013. 260,000 acres, estimated that it liberated about 12 to 15 million metric tons of CO2 equivalent. One fire. Okay. Look at 2015, the Rough Fire. Okay. So the rough fire was only about 150,000 acres, liberated about 7 to 9 million metric tons of CO2 equivalent. Okay, so one average-sized fire now eclipses all the gains from cap-and-trade. And that's released initially, and then these dead trees continue to emit CO2. So we've started a program here with early detection of carbon ignition as part of our Center for Public Preparedness. We need to do something about this. And if you look at this curve, this is the CO2 curve. This is years before today. And this is carbon dioxide level. And this is here, what we see is it's high. We go into a glaciation, we come out. Next glaciation, we come out. Next glaciation, we come out. Going into a glaciation, whoo. Watt came around and invented the steam engine, okay? And now we're at the highest levels that have been measured, and look at the steepness of this curve. So for the last 400,000 years, we've been below this line, and now we're up here. So we're conducting, as Roger Revelle would say, a great geophysical experiment. It's causing the trees to die, okay? So uh, here with the bark beetle and the temperatures, these are in tens of millions of trees. And you notice that 2016, we had a huge die-off, and the die-offs diminished, but the standing dead trees are horrific in the hundreds of millions, okay? This is standing fuel, lightning, the Walker fire. So here... Articles are starting to call this that we might have these master fires. The continuity of the fuel is great. Density of the fuel is high. 
and it's timber dry. So the, these, are, these are just waiting to erupt, okay? We're not alone. Colorado shares an equally disastrous fate when the pine bark beetle, temperatures, drought. One in every 14 trees in Colorado is dead. Okay? And here, you know, we're looking up the pass here, and you can just see that it, it just, it hurts your heart. So, droughts are longer and stronger. The data are showing that we have more severe droughts back-to-back. Okay, this dries out the fuel, and it makes it easier to combust when the wind starts blowing. This here is the holy fire, which had just huge ignition, almost looks like an atomic bomb. Okay, this was taken by Captain Joe Kerr, former uh, firefighter in Orange County. He was a captain, and took this from his house and he just said the thing just went from small within 20-30 minutes to erupting so here we had just put a camera up on Santiago Peak and here's the holy fire so I was in contact with Orange County and with the fire branch at Southern California Edison and I was there like are you are you looking at this camera and they all got on the camera and started looking, and that's why the camera is going from Brian Norton, and you'll see that uh, Troy grabs it back, changes the, the look angle, but the fire's coming very close. There's Troy Whitman, he got the camera back, so they were fighting with each other. We had to, we had to give them a little etiquette lesson. <laughs> but look at this. So um, we painted it with this V-Lot, very large air tanker, that drops fire retardant. So that red fire retardant, we were painting the mountainside. All right. So this fire, we couldn't get to it right away, and we didn't see it right away. And the 911 calls were a few minutes after the ignition, and I'll show you how we know that. So the take-home message is we need to fight fire in the incipient phase we have technology that we can confirm. We want to develop AI so we can detect and then marshal our resources. We also have situations where a gentleman driving down the 101 saw a fire and he told us that he was sure it was on Pine Mountain. Well, we turned the cameras on Pine Mountain and it wasn't there. The camera, we went over to Geyser Peak and the Coyote Fire, we could see it and we suppressed it. So here, before the cameras, we would have had to spend a couple of hours to get an engine up on a hilltop or launch an aircraft. Valuable time that we didn't waste because we could go right to the cameras and have situational awareness. We also work with wildfire and technosilver and trying to understand how the fault, uh, fires progress. And so here I'm going to show you a little movie that we did a demo of a fire starting in La Jolla. So these are all the wind stations that we put into the fire. It's onshore breeze, and the fire starts over by Mount Soledad. And this shows a 12-hour burn. Okay, so within 12 hours, if there's no suppression and the weather conditions don't change, the fuels are pretty locked in, this is the path of the fire. This helps 
for evacuations. My whole goal is on early detection. So how are we doing that? We're using satellites. We're using machine learning, and we're using it on our cameras. So here, this exists today. These 250 cameras are being used to teach the computer what fire looks like. Okay, the rotating cameras are for artificial intelligence, machine learning, and uh, the cameras that are stationary or live view and can be moved by firefighters to confirm 911 calls. So here, this is an example. So we have many bin boxes. What you're looking at is these squares. There's red and blue squares. We fold them over. We sample this like 60,000 times. And so when we see a fire or a change or smoke detection, we have a threshold of about 0.6. So here, see the fire? Okay, 0.98. We captured this in a few minutes. Okay, this is all hind casting though. We're teaching the, the computer, okay? So here's another example. So you can see none of the boxes are over 0.6. Okay, they're all like 0 0.0 something. Fire, 0.73. So this pushes out a signal and tells us there's a fire or likelihood of a fire. Our group is really concerned about false positives. Because if you have false positives, then they're not going to use your equipment. Okay, they're just not. So here, this here, um, we're looking at a set of true, uh, you know, positive result. Okay, you can see it there, the 1.0. So this is a good, true, positive result. This is a true negative result. This is the marine layer. The computer knew it. It didn't get faked out. It didn't give any square a high number. Okay, so it's learning what the marine layer looks like. All right? And, and this is amazing technology. You know, we look at something, that's a dog. Bam. Rarely would you call a dog a cat. Okay? But the computer does all the time. So it's learning. So I want you to think of machine learning as repetition and learning so that it can associate what it sees with what things are. Okay, so no false positive pushed out with the marine layer. Okay, here, unfortunately, this was a false negative result. This over here is truly a fire. Okay, but it looks like the marine layer. So we gotta go another step in the learning process, okay? So here, highest scores of like 0.65. You look over here in this box over here. Well, it got faked out. This cloud that you would never think was fire faked out the computer. Maybe because of the angle or something, but something the computer picked up thought it could be fire. Okay, so I'm trying to show you that in artificial intelligence, there's a learning curve and it's steep and we want to be sure when we launch these products that they work, okay? So our group is very Berkeley, Mayday. We're very skeptical of what we're doing, and so we're our own worst critics. So here, this is the holy fire. So we backtracked. This is hindsighting. So we went back to the cameras, and we saw that the, the first image with visible smoke to a human eye was 1305. The first image where the AI system detected it was 1309. 
Okay, this was the first 911 call, and this is Cal Fire database where they enter and log the fire and name it. Okay, locate it. So here we're making great progress, but there's still research to do. We're we're thinking we're probably six months out from rolling out a product. Okay, so here we also use the geostationary satellites, Geo 16 and 17, and they're parked over the western United States. Here, 17 is farther west, 16 is farther east, and it updates these CONUS frames every five minutes. And what you can see here is this is when the camera detected it moved. Okay, so we moved the camera, 1106. This is where the satellite, which has this box, is two kilometers on a side. That's the resolution of the GOES 16 and 17 satellites. And so we detected it at 1111. And here, just so you can see, okay, so here in this GOES satellite, this is this yellow box. Okay, so that's when we had first detection. This is where the camera moved. Okay, so here we saw confident imagery of smoke. So now the yellow box at 1131, you can see just a little bit of smoke. If you're up here, you can see it just a little. But here, I think, again, our DMV test. Okay, everybody see that smoke? All right. There's other satellites that are not geostationary or geosynchronous. And these are like the Landsat 8 and they reoccupy our area every 90 minutes or so. This here is imagery of the campfire in paradise. And the red is areas that have burnt, and the yellow are areas that are hot. Look at this spotting. This is like a mile away, okay? So spotting is a real big problem with these fires in high wind condition. So here I've blown it up. I put the roads on here. These are houses, okay? These are houses igniting, okay? People didn't have any warning. All of the heads of the roads to get out were engulfed in flames, okay? I'm sure all of you, uh, my wife that day called sobbing, listening to NPR of, and tweets of people with their parents, pets, loved ones trapped in paradise. This is just looking here to the south, west is to your right, over here, and again, the roads were just, these are houses just igniting, okay? So my message to you tonight is, I think, positive. I think I've shown data that if we can get on these fires quickly, we have a chance to suppress them. We saw that in two data points, okay? We could have had, just like we had in 03 and 07 last year, okay? It was in the same corridor, same conditions, and we won. So, 2018, worst year by any metric. In terms of loss of life, acres burnt and structures destroyed, and each year is worse. So... I believe these cameras offer promise. Thank you.
So the question was, how high are the towers? So we have them on numerous structures. What we have to do is clear the trees and vegetation and make sure we have a view shed. So every camera we install, we do a site inspection. We make sure that the tower is robust and uh, we do uh, an environmental assessment of the strength um, engineering. We also make sure that each tower has three to five days of backup power. If we don't have that backup power, the camera during a power shutdown, public service power shutdown, or just fail power from burn through, um, we need that data. So they range, some are only 20, 30 feet off the ground. Some are 200 to 300 feet off the ground. I don't have, I, I, the elevation is mostly on mountaintops, so good view sheds. So I have them throughout San Diego County on uh, peaks that are about three to 5,000 feet. Um, and the Sierra, I have some that are up nine, 10,000 feet. So it really depends. We have them all throughout the state and the location and the vegetation. I have to get up high enough that I clear the vegetation. So your first question, um, drones um, are when they're run by CAL FIRE or CAL OES and synchronized into the flight pattern, they're great. When we have people that just want to look at the fire, the drones prevent the first responders from working the fire with aircraft. So drones have positive and negative sides, but they are being employed by uh, the agencies. Planes, so we have a suite of elevation different tools. Planes high up, giving situational awareness of the fires as well as suppressant. Um, we use the cameras to look at erosion patterns because the erosion patterns are enhanced. Um, real extreme case of erosion pattern was in Montecito. So we study that. We also study how areas are revegetated. If there's changes from uh, grasslands that used to be chaparral and things like that. So the cameras provide a lot of situational awareness, but also research. And they're tied in. They're, they're not the only answer. We want to connect the dots. We want the satellite to see the fire or the cameras to see the fire with AI. They alert one another. They push out a signal to all the command centers. The command centers can then use this real-time information to scale their response, and we can attack fires in the incipient phase. So I think that covered a majority of your questions. Really good questions. Thank you. I'm trying to understand in a world that's increasingly, increasingly hot and sometimes quite dry, the wind blowing, are we down to the point this is the only bullet we have? We're just going to fight the fires when they start? Or is this part of a broader, this should be part of a broader pattern where we try to go ahead to reduce the fuel loads as well? Um, so here, a lot of the control burns, um, they require much planning. One, where the smoke goes. Two, that you have enough of a weather window that you're not going to have what is called an aggressive control burn like happened in Nevada and burnt houses. So um, control burns and controlling vegetation is important. Managing forests, but managing forests is billions of dollars. And getting in and getting the dead trees out, how do you protect the soils and forest? when you're doing that. So there, there's a lot of solutions that this is nested in.
So we have a nested approach. This is just one. We feed into Cal Fire, Cal OES. We're using aircraft much more frequently now. We have helicopters that can fly at night. Fixed wing cannot. So I think we're making great advances with technology and infrastructure and communication. So I know many of the firefighters here in California because of building the system out with Graham Kent. And he knows uh, an equal amount up north. And so here, the communication is another thing that's built into the system that's helping us. Because I'm not talking to an emergency command center the first time when a disaster strikes. We're planning together. So, um, yes, this is part of a nested program. Um, We are getting warmer, hotter. The atmosphere is more dynamic. Um, It can evaporate. We call the atmosphere now the atmospheric mosquito and it's just sucking the water out of fuels and so they combust and that's what you see is that first 30 minutes so fire nature has really changed since about 2000 and and each year we have the biggest fire and uh fatalities and it just is escalating we've got to we've got to try to use technology to at least suppress some of these fires. Thank you. Uh, My question is, do we have enough air tankers to fight these fires? Uh, Well, um, here, um, in the past, the dry conditions would either be in the north or the south, and we could send supplies, personnel, equipment from one part of California to another, but it seems there we had the car fire and we then, you know, um, and the campfire, and then we had the Woolsey fire, and they're all igniting. So um, I have not looked into the number of air tankers and whether this is sufficient. That's beyond uh, my uh, expertise, but I will tell you this, I will look into it. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.